Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. If you would, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6, and then place place a marker there, and then we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4 as well. Matthew chapter 6, Philippians chapter 4. When Jesus was announced to the shepherds, his birth, uh, that is, the angels who had been with God their entire existence uh, declared, glory to God in the highest. And, and if we're not careful, we will tie that in addition to, so glory to God in the highest, and in addition to that, like peace and glory go together. But that's not what that means. It's as a result of. So glory to God in the highest, and as a result of glory to God in the highest, peace. Peace to those to which God is pleased. Several translations translate it that way. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace. Goodwill toward men. Peace to those to whom God is pleased. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10, a very strange passage of Scripture, if you don't read it in its fullest context, it says that it pleased the Father to crush His Son and to cause Him to suffer. Please Him. That's a very strange thing to say about the crucifixion. That it pleased the Father to crush His Son and to cause Him to suffer. Until you get to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, God made Him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of Christ. Now this is a very interesting process. So glory to God in the highest. When God is glorified paramount, when, he, when there is no glory... <laughs> except glory to Him. When God is preeminent, as a result of His preeminence, man will experience peace. Not all men, only those men to whom God is pleased. It pleased the Father to crush the Son. The Son was crushed so that we might be His righteousness. Only those who have a direct personal relationship with Jesus Christ, who have identified with Jesus Christ in His life, His death, His burial, His resurrection, and one day we will identify with Him in His ascension. To them, He has given His righteousness, and it is the righteousness of Christ that pleases the Father, and it is those who will experience the Father's peace. So as we put God first in everything, glory to God in the highest, then we'll experience peace only as we have Jesus Christ paramount in our lives. The world is seeking peace and the world can't find it. The only 
only opportunity, the only option for peace is in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We look to relationships. We look to reputation. We look to finances. We look for social status. We look for some inner feeling to give us peace. We look for alternative circumstances. We look for our situations to change, hoping that that might bring some sense of meaning and purpose and peace in our life. But I'm telling you, it cannot be found apart from putting God first in every area of our life. So now let's look at Matthew chapter 6. We're beginning a series today on, for Christmas, I guess, uh, but, uh, but these messages could stand alone, but we're talking about sort of a gift exchange. You know, you, you give a gift and get a gift. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about giving our fear, our worry, our anxiety to the Lord, and as a result of giving Him that gift, He gives us His peace. Quite a change, Right? Quite an exchange. The kind of anxiety that I'm talking, just I want to clarify a couple of things. When I'm talking about anxiety and worry, and, and th- I'm not talking about caution. I'm not talking about being careful. I think that there's a lot of uh, being conservative in your decision making doesn't mean that you're worrying. It might mean that you're wise. There's a difference between worry and wisdom. So I'm not saying that we should be apathetic concerning consequences. Another point of clarification is I'm also not talking about certain kinds of anxiety that have to do with trauma that you've been through. I'm not talking about those sorts of traumatic events or any sort of chemical struggle with depression. Uh, That's not what I'm talking about with anxiety. The kind of Well, let me say the one thing that I think everyone who struggles with worry and anxiety can agree on, and and I'm including me. So if you, anybody in here, uh, when I say worry or anxiety, you think that I'm speaking specifically to you? Anybody in here worry warts? All right, so good. We're in a good crowd. One thing that I have learned about people who worry or have anxiety or panic or fear or all of those sorts of things who, who and, and by the way, all of those, all of those uh, give birth to being triggered and having to be overly careful and cautious and people have to, you know, grumbling and complaining and all of those sorts of things. They're all part of one thing. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. But the one thing that I think everybody who struggles with worry and, and anxiety can agree on is that when you're in that moment of worry, well, yours is just different than everybody else's, right? Somewhere or another, you're entitled to feel that way because yours is deeper, richer, more meaningful. It's got a different story. It's got a different context to it. Well, you don't understand what I've been through. Everybody thinks theirs is unique, and everybody thinks that they're justified. So let's define worry. Worry really is about allowing your mind to dwell on potentially negative outcomes that are way beyond your control. So let me say it this way. Worry is about what to do when you recognize that you might not be in control. Worry is really not about circumstance. Worry is about your control issues. 
Worry isn't really even about your control issues. Worry is about your inability or unwillingness to trust God at all. Worry is not about your inability or unwillingness to trust God at all. Worry is sin. It's sin. We talk about control issues. Truth of the matter is... We all may not have control issues to the same degree, but one thing that we do have in common is we don't control anything. Some people are just better at accepting that than others. I hate to fly. I don't like it. I've never liked it. It seems to be getting worse. I am convinced that I would have a much better experience if they just let me sit in the cockpit. <laughs> if I could just sit up there, I'm sure I would do fine. Or, or maybe even some kind of artificial steering wheel, if they could just give me, let me hold it. Listen, you can pin little wings on little kids. They should hand out inflatable steering wheels for people like me. I know that it doesn't matter, but it matters. Here's what, Je here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to begin reading verse 25. It says, He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. In other words, those who do not know who I am worry about such things. But listen, verse 33, the very first word, but, or as an alternative to anxiety, as an alternative to fear, to worry, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. This is exactly what the angel said to the shepherds at the first announcement at the birth of Jesus. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to those to whom God is pleased, to those who wear the righteousness of Christ. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. Verse 34, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus very quickly says at least three things here about worry and anxiety. And the reason that I'm wanting to talk about this today is because we're about to go headlong into the most wonderful time of the year. We keep singing that song because we're hoping one day it'll be true. You know, we're worried about finances. We're worried about relationships. We're worried about our calendars. We're worried about all of the different things. And the most wonderful time of the year has really truly become the most anxious time of the year. It's no wonder. 
Peace is the evidence of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Peace is the evidence. Peace is the proof. It's the supernatural proof that we are born again. It would only make sense that peace is the one thing that Satan would try to rob from the Christians because it is the testimony of the Prince of Peace. Jesus says that worry is unnatural. You might say, well, it's just human nature to be worried. Well, I've, you know, it's just, it's just the way that I am. Listen, what Jesus says here is, you know what? Look at lesser things. Look at trees. They ain't worried. Look at flowers. They ain't worried. Look at the birds. Birds, I, I remember growing up, every now and then we'd hear a bump at home, and it's stupid birds flying directly into the window. Isn't that nuts? They're not very bright. They're smart enough not to worry. I think it seems like what Jesus is saying to us is when it comes to worry, that's a, cho- that's a choice we make. You can say, well, I'm entitled to it, or my situation, or my past, or my future, or my circumstance, but worry, it's a choice. Make no mistake, it's a choice. Your circumstances, and I want everybody here to hear my heart on this, your circumstances are honestly no different than anyone else's alive. Where you work, who you live with, how you spend, all the, we all, you know what? People say, well, I'm just so busy. You got the same 24 hours anybody else has got. You got the same responsibilities everybody else has got. If you find drama and being triggered and grumbling and complaining always coming off your lips, it might not be everybody else. Right? Amen? So earlier on in the service, I talked about maybe taking a moment to be brothers and sisters. Wouldn't it be awesome to have a community whenever someone walks into your life and they start with, oh, you're never going to believe this. If you just were to say, you know, what thought do you think God would want to have the most prominence in your life right now? Talk about triggered. But if we were to be able to live truly in community as brothers and sisters, whenever we have someone or whenever we're getting ready to walk up to somebody and start grumbling, complaining, how would we respond if somebody looked at us and said, is this the thought you think God would want you to be focused on right now? Because I think if we looked at Matthew 6.33, we would know what thought. But seek first what? Your freedom, your happiness, your joy, your schedule, your entitlements. Nope. They're not there because I'm telling you, you cannot seek first His kingdom and your kingdom simultaneously. That's, where, that's the problem with your peace. You keep looking out after your own instead of His. His kingdom always begets peace. Your kingdom might stumble in and out of it based on your circumstances. Worry is unnatural. Nature doesn't worry. It trusts its creator. Number two, worry is unhelpful. Your control issues don't control anything. We may have some control issues. But the truth of the matter is, we don't really control anything. Not if God is sovereign. God controls it all. 
So worry is unhelpful. You may say, well, it helps me get prepared. Does it? I don't think that it does help us get prepared. It actually robs us of the moment. You ever, you ever, when people get anxious, they get angry. You ever notice when tensions get high, people get really short with each other. So when you're worried about controlling and preparing yourself for the moment's trouble, all you're being robbed of is of peace in the moment. Not just peace in the future, you're getting robbed of peace right now. It's very unhelpful. And number three, worry, and this one hits hard. I don't know that there's a more unchristian thing than worry. It is the chief, the chief statement of a, it, rela- it uh, reflects a lack of faith in trusting God's will over my will. Listen, we all know what we want our life to look like. We all know what we want our life to look like. And when God, we think God's threatening that, or when you're threatening that, and I can have some say in it, I'm always going to get in the way. And that's not going to create peace. It's going to create conflict. But seeking first His kingdom will order all of that out. So here's how you can handle that. This is super simple. And we're going to get to Philippians chapter 4 in just a second. But number one, what we've got to learn to do is to let Jesus truly be the king. Glory to God in the highest. We've got to let Jesus be king. When you put his kingdom first and you make God's kingdom's purpose your primary concern, you will have nothing to worry about. Your, your life may not be perfect. Your circumstances may not be perfect. And you may have some discomfort in your life but you will be able to see that every moment is for His purpose and He is accomplishing His will through even the worst of difficulties. The goal of your life cannot be ease. It cannot be smooth because you're going to move from friction to friction that way. You may get your way from time to time. You may bully your way from time to time, but it's, not, it's, it, it's revealing your peace, not His peace. It's temporary. Seek first His kingdom. Worry comes as a result of you being your first thought. And that's hard. When you're worried, it's because you're seeking first your kingdom. Number two, we need to live a day at a time. I wish it weren't so, but it is. God gives us enough power and enough strength for today, not for tomorrow. We can't control it. We can't even know it. He does not equip us to prevent all future situations that we're going to go through. Uh, He gives us the strength to come for today. When we're focused on... It seems to me that, especially in our culture, uh, we have been afforded the opportunity because of technology and finances and, you know, and say what you will, we've been afforded the luxury of, of planning in the future. You know, there's a lot of cultures who can't do that. They're, they're wondering what their next meal is going to look like. They're wondering where they're going to sleep tonight. They're not overly worried about what they're buying for Christmas. Uh, these are luxuries that we have fallen into the trap that they're a part of life. And so we're constantly planning and we're looking at our calendars and saying, well, when can you and when can you? And well, I can't that night because I've already got this other thing. And we're, we've, become, we've just become kind of programmed to plan for the future. And, and that's not necessarily a good thing. So as we plan for the future, we tend to rob 
and try to control the events of the future. When that happens, you can see it's kind of the whole problem. So what we need to do is, I'm not talking about planning for events. I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm simply saying we can't live in those arenas of the future. We also need to spend some time focused on what does God want me to do here. I see, I've seen a lot of Christians throughout the years who constantly are planning on what they're going to do for God in the future. And, and there's nothing taking place today. And so I would just simply say, make sure that you're not spending so much time planning for the future that you're not glorifying the Lord in your moment. Because this is where God is found now. The third and final thing is that we need to learn to lean on the faithfulness of God. And that is that we need to learn to, to talk to the Lord. Prayer is difficult. What's, what's the point? What's the purpose? Why is He listening? All of these sorts of things. Why would I pray if God already knows? All of these things. We're not going to get into all of that today. We've talked about that some before. We're still trying to figure out what does prayer really accomplish. But talking to God about those fears and anxieties and pains and circumstances, all they do, there's not whining. Listen, since you are seeking the kingdom of God first, who should you talk to first? Right? You remember, we, we say things like this all the time. Well, I just need to vent to somebody. You know what? You can't vent to someone if you've already told the Lord about it. He's already handled it. Right? So when we're venting and when we're punching pillows, this is a significant problem. It's not the same as punching a stone wall. Right. You might save the hide on your knuckles. And we say, well, this is a more productive way of venting our anger. We need to be talking to the Lord. We're seeking Him first after all, right? So since we're seeking Him first, we might as well talk to Him first. When we share those things with Him and we communicate openly and specifically about those things with Him, He has a way to, since we don't know how to pray as we ought, the Holy Spirit makes groanings for us and He's able to reprioritize our life for us. And for everything we give to Him, He gives back a promise to us. And when we finish in prayer, I'm not talking about praying over our food or praying over our sleep. I'm talking about really getting honest and serious in a personal relationship with Christ and we spend time in prayer while we are grumbling and complaining to Him. And as we grumble and complain, and we begin to... I think of all the imprecatory psalms. I think of uh, those, you know, God, get them, get them, get them. They're terrible people and they're hurting me. And they all end this pretty much the same way. There's a few anomalies to that, but Lord, you're good to me. Or I think of Lamentations 3, where God is making me eat rocks. You know, my teeth are falling out because God's destroying me and He's like a big bear. He jumps out behind trees to attack, attack me and I keep falling and stumbling and everything, everything's against me. And you know how that passage of Scripture ends? Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. This is a prayer of telling the Lord how we feel, not everybody else. Telling the Lord how we feel and your mercies are new every morning. Right? Learn to tell the Lord. He can prioritize for us things that we... How many of us have ever grumbled and complained to somebody and then walked away and said, why do I do that? Do it to the Lord and you won't do that. It, those are choices that we make. They're choices. 
All right, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. And by the way, me too. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to look at verse 6. Now, just because Paul said it doesn't make it less God than Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. God breathed. And so, Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said in verse 6, Do not be anxious about what? You will never find your exception. So all of your, but I'm entitled to, or you don't understand, nope. Do not be anxious about what? Anything. But in everything. In everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. There's two things that... Paul says to do with worry. Number one, tell him about it. Tell him about it. Prayer isn't for the Lord. Prayer is for us. Prayer is the opportunity for us to tell him what we're thinking and for him to reorder our thinking. If you're trying to impress God with how well you've got this living thing down, you're never going to give him an opportunity to speak his truth into your life because you already know it all. Number two, Thank you for what, thank God for what He has already done. Uh, gratitude is God's way of refocusing our minds on His goodness and the gifts of God rather than the problems. Listen, worry focuses on problems, but gratitude causes us to focus on promises. So, first, we would have to know the promises, be saturating ourselves in the promises of God. Knowing the promise. When, I, when I'm tempted to process a circumstance a certain way, I'm able to take that thought captive unto Christ, and for every problem, there's a promise. Promises always give birth to peace. Problems always give birth to I feel. I just, so, many, worry works both ways. Worry works in the past. I'm speaking from experience. I'm an expert. Uh, worry works in the past where the things that I've done that, you know, no, I don't mean this, this is not funny. All the things that I've done that I wake up in the middle of the night thinking about. Those things that you think about when it's quiet. Those things that, that haunt you. That, that create guilt and shame. Those things that just just constantly just nag and nag and nag that if you could go back and undo anything, these are the things you would go back and if I could just have a... Well, you know what? There's nothing we can do about that. Not one thing. Uh, So we're going to start from from here and we're going to move forward. It's so easy to get trapped into that, but you don't know about my past. Listen, that's, that's gotta, we got to figure that out because what happens is when we are focused on our past, all we're doing is give Satan a foothold. That's all we're doing is giving him a foothold to tap us on the shoulder constantly. We've got to bury that in Jesus' tomb, and that is dead. Sin is dead. Listen to me. Sin is dead. And if we continue to drudge it back up, all we're doing is giving Satan a foothold to tap us on the shoulder and to create drama in our life. As long as you're experiencing drama, you're not going to experience His peace. Sometimes, though, we are also afraid of the future. What's going to happen? Am I going to get cancer? Am I going to have Alzheimer's? Are my kids going to take care of me? 
People worry about that a lot. Am I going to have enough money to retire? Am I going to have enough friends to enjoy life with? Am I going to, am I going to, am I going to, am I going to fear, fear, worry, worry, fret, right? And because of fear of the future, we start making different decisions today that may not be the right ones. They're desperate ones. Instead of trusting the Lord, I'm playing politics. So here's a good, here's a good, so going forward from now, this is why it is so important. That's uh, I'll go one more time. Every sin has already been forgiven in Christ Jesus. There's not a sin that's not been satisfied in the crushing of Christ on the cross. Amen? It doesn't exist. The only sin that will not be forgiven is the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which is the rejection of the testimony of the Spirit, which bears witness to Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Savior of man. If you don't accept that, you can't experience life with the Father. All right, so all of that to be said. When we are, we need, so living holy isn't about whether or not we go to heaven. Living holy is not giving Satan a foothold in our life to hold us. Sin isn't about eternity. Sin was handled on the cross. Holiness, I'm making decisions to honor God first and foremost in my life because I don't want to give Satan room to pull me down. Because if he pulls me down, I can't experience peace. And it's the peace of God that is my greatest testimony to reach as many people for the glory of God. So, be holy as I am holy. So, going forward, I can't do anything about my idiocy from my past. But going forward, I'm going to live as righteously as I can. As I know how. As I, I can't say empowered to because I sin because I want to. But I'm going to live holy because a year from now, I don't want Satan tapping on my shoulder about something I'm going to do tomorrow. So I'm going to make a commitment to seek first his kingdom so that I can't give Satan a foothold in the future. I can't do anything about yesterday. That's come and gone. I can trust Christ. I can trust Christ's sufficiency. And in the future, I can do the exact same thing. This is why it's so important how we live because it will determine to what peace we can have with Him, which is our greatest treasure. Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. As a result, this is the and. Do not be anxious, but pray, supplicate, give thanks, request, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. That just means you can have peace when nobody else has peace. You can have peace when it doesn't make sense to have peace. You can be on the cross and have peace. You can be in the lion's den and have peace. You can be in the fiery furnace and have peace. You can be kicked out of the garden and have peace. There's not one circumstance in your life where you cannot have peace. Paul is writing this from prison. And he's telling those who are free how to live at peace. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds 
Isn't that what we want? On, in John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus said, My peace I leave with you. Not the peace that the world offers do I leave, but my peace. This is very powerful. And then he said, Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Now, he spoke these words at a very important time. This is the night of his arrest, the day before the crucifixion. And of all the things that Jesus could have said, he could have said, Guys, remember the mission. Guys, remember all the things that I've taught you. Guys, you need to remember to get out there. He doesn't. The thing that Jesus said is, My peace I leave with you. Don't be satisfied with the fallen world's peace. It's temporary. It comes and goes. But my peace I leave with you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And, and, and don't live in, in fear. By the way, there are 365 times Scripture says do not fear. There's a do not fear for every day of the year. Seven times in the New Testament, God is called the God of all peace. So there is a God of all peace for every day of the week. The God of all peace. The God of all peace. I mean, this seems to be the thing that he's trying to give out. By the way, when we're introduced to Jesus as a baby, peace, goodwill. When Jesus is leaving, my peace I leave with you. Peace seems to be a pretty important thing to the kingdom of God. And it cannot be had as long as you're seeking your kingdom and as long as you're investigating, evaluating life through your eyes. You can't have peace. So when prayer is greater than your anxiety, you will have in proportionate peace. Do not be anxious about anything, all peace. But the remedy to anxiety is an increased prayer life. But Paul uses four words to talk about prayer here. I want to go through them incredibly quickly. The first word is prayer. It's a very generic word for prayer. At its core, it means to sit face to face. And so if we're praying to God, we're sitting face to face with God. We're remembering who we are. We're remembering that Psalm says that if we regard iniquity in our hearts, our prayers will not be heard. So we're coming before God Himself with reverential awe. We're confessing our sin before Him and we are laid bare. But we come to Him because we are in a personal relationship with Him. It's very important that when we think about talking with the Lord, that we recognize that we do so very personally. The second word is the word supplication. The word supplication simply means to, to be specific about needs. They can be your needs, they can be the needs of others, but just as we talked earlier about the, some of the Psalms, as we are honest with the Lord about specific things we're seeing and experiencing, I'm talking about before we talk to our kids, before we talk to our spouses, before we talk to our neighbors, before we talk to our coworkers, we are talking to the Lord about the specific things that we see in our life. And as we do that, He is able to, res- re- re- to flip every eye with His eye. We come to the Lord, and man, I, I'm telling you, when I am burdened and I'm weighed down, by the time I even remember to pray, that's not my first thought. 
By the time I even come into His presence, I get so sick of hearing the same word over and over. Ah, 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 ah. And then by the time I realize it, I'm like, I'm so tired of hearing me talk. And sometimes I'll hear Him say, me too. (laughs) And then He reorganizes my I needs, I wants, I feels. And he He starts giving me back proper perspective. His kingdom, not my kingdom. Boy, I come to Him and it's all about my kingdom. But when I supplicate and I make, I make those supplications before the Lord specific about things in my life, I'm able to walk away with His perspective and not mine. Brings us to the second one. Because by the time you see His perspective, you're then able to give thanksgiving because there's lots of times in my life where I'm not thankful for the events and the circumstances of my life. But after spending time, after seeking Him first, talking to Him first, being specific with Him first, He begins to show me my life from His perspective. I can be grateful because everything that He does is for His good through me. I'm able to see all things work together for good. He's able to give me a perspective that my life doesn't give me. And I'm able to be thankful in every circumstance because God only does good. With thanksgiving, make your requests. Now I'm asking for things because I am clean, I am holy, I am pure, I am the righteousness of Christ. I'm going to be very specific about my, re- my, my needs and my wants and my feelings. He orders those and causes me to be thankful. And the next thing that happens is now that I actually know what I'm talking about and know seeing life from His perspective, I'm able to make my request made known to God. And as a result of this four-level process and the peace of God, which can't be explained any other way, passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that what we want? What Philippians, Paul already told him. Let me remind you, I feel like I have to keep reminding you, Paul is in prison. And he says this in chapter 2. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. You understand that the grumbling and complaining and the fear and the anxiety and the worry, you are shining as lights in the world. And as Christians, when you are grumbling and worried and anxious about everything, you are not shining at all. It's because the peace that we want from God, we're wanting to use for our benefit. And I think that's the most significant thing that I want to say to us today. The peace that we want from God, we want because we want to feel better. And that's not the purpose of peace. The purpose of peace is a gift for you to give away. Because that's how the world will know. That's how the world will know. And I would say that if there's one thing that the church and Christianity has not given away to the world, it's peace. Why? Because we've neglected Matthew 6.33. We've not made it about His kingdom and His righteousness. We've made it about our better life. 
our pleasures, our happiness, our comfort. God gives us peace to pass through us. The reason we want to be free from anxiety is so that we can live peaceful, pleasant lives. Our focus is self-centered. Let's look back at verse 4. The peace of God which passes all comprehension shall guard. I want to talk about that word guard for just a second. In Jeremiah chapter 32... Uh, Jeremiah is actually in prison. Boy, there's a theme here. Uh, Jeremiah's in prison, and Nebuchadnezzar and all of the army is just outside. They're besieging the city. I mean, they're, they're getting ready to take, take over. And Jeremiah knows this. He's praying, making his request be made known unto God. And here's what the Lord says. And God uses Jeremiah as a prophet to Israel and gives him sometimes visuals to convey to God's people to encourage them or to challenge them or whatever the case may be. Uh, so, Jeremiah is asking the Lord for his word. And the Lord says, here, here it is. Uh, you know that piece of property your uncle's trying to sell? I want you to go buy that. Now, wait a minute. Who in their right mind, when the country is about to be taken, buys a piece of property? Uh, but the Lord tells Jeremiah to go buy, go buy your uncle's property. And... And Jeremiah is, uh, man, Lord, you are so good. <laughs> uh, but what the Lord was trying to tell through Jeremiah was that this property, even though it's about to be taken, you're coming back home. There's a future here. There's a future here. So even when the circumstances are all stacked against you, when you are able to remember God's promises from yesterday... You remember, and today I'm able to live by faith because God has always kept His promises. So faith really looks backwards. When I think about trusting because of God's faithfulness, I can trust for today. But when I think about the future, because of my faith and my willingness to trust, I have a hope in the future. It's not experienced yet, but I have every reason and I have every hope that God will continue to keep His promises for me. Faith and hope. But today, I'm going to trust even when I can't see. I'm going to trust. And that's what God gives Jeremiah. Now, I want to go back to Philippians 4, 7. Guarding your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This word guard means two things simultaneously. It means two things simultaneously. The first thing that it means is that it, it prevents things from leaving. All right? It prevents things from leaving. So like Jeremiah, uh, a guard when the enemy is besieging you, if, if the enemy is guarding the walls, they are preventing you from leaving. Uh, if you're not under war, the guard keeps enemies from invading. It works both ways. 
It keeps the right things in. It keeps the wrong things out. And so when the Lord through Paul tells us that the peace of God through our hearts and our minds, God's peace will allow us to keep the wrong things out. He will keep Satan's lies away. He will keep the enemies that have skin on away from being able to do any damage to his kingdom. Listen, there's not, there is no enemy in this world that God's peace doesn't keep at bay. He also keeps the right things in. We're able to remember the promises of God. In those moments, have you ever as a child memorized Scripture and then later in life when you really need it the most, you're able to remember things that you didn't remember that you remembered? That's the peace of God that does that. The peace of God does that. The peace of God keeps things in. The peace of God keeps things out. And it guards our hearts, which implies our whole being. But where we really lose ground... And our minds. And our minds. But God's peace is enough for both. In Christ Jesus. Keeps the right things in. Keeps the wrong things out. And so this morning, what I want to ask you to do is to, is to, to make a commitment. Number one is to recognize that the greatest asset that you have for the kingdom of God in this, earth, in this world is the peace of God in you. Glory to God in the highest. And when you seek first His kingdom, then all these things will be added unto you. And as you, instead of grumbling and complaining, if you, would just, if you can't do it for yourself, then let someone else speak into your life and say, is this the thought? Is this the preeminent thought? Is this the prominent thing that you should be thinking about right now? Let someone speak that into your life. And listen, brothers and sisters, let's be loving enough to speak that in in a loving way in order that we may have peace with one another and also that we may experience the peace of God for our community and ultimately the nations. That's the thing that we all have in common. We all want peace. Those in the church and those outside the church. The reason those outside the church hadn't found it yet is because the church hadn't shown it to them yet. So let's make a commitment this morning that we're going to seek first His kingdom. And when the Holy Spirit reminds us that we're being selfish or dealing with control issues, that we're going to take those thoughts to Christ, we're going to go to our knees, and we're going to pray, and supplicate, and give thanksgiving to God, and make our requests made known to Him so that we may have peace. And when you have peace, there's no need to grumble and complain, be anxious, be worried. The only thing you have time for and room for is to love. So let's love one another. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the promises of your word. And as we go into this hectic season, Lord, I pray that we would be at peace. And it doesn't mean that we won't have conflict and, and from time to time chaos, but it does mean that there is an inner strength 
There is an inner satisfaction. Not, not a peace that the world offers, but your peace. So Lord, help us to have it, but as importantly, help us to give it away. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me? It's interesting, too, the very next verse, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, when the Lord talks to us about, you know, God's peace, keeping our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then he says, be careful about what you think about. Whatever thing's good, whatever noble, good report, lovely, pure. Think on these things. So I think we, we have to spend intentional time processing. What are we spending time thinking on? Are we spending time thinking on His kingdom or how we were done? Are we thinking about His kingdom or what somebody else deserves? So let's, let's take captive our thoughts into Christ. If you take your thoughts captive, you won't have to take your tongue as captive. But that is a dead giveaway of where our hearts are. So this morning, if there's need to confess, let's confess. If there's need to repent, let's repent. If there's need to make a commitment, let's make a commitment. But let us make a commitment to seek first. And that word first, I left this out earlier. It's not in order. It's not rank. First means only. There are no other options. Not put God first in your life. No, no, no. We put God only. Everything is. I don't bring God into my life. I, I'm answering His invitation to be in His. Everything comes into His life. Make that commitment this morning. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.